This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Liverpool Blood Red podcast at the Liverpool Echo. I'm your host, Tom Cavilla, and I'm joined today by Liverpool correspondent for the Echo, Paul Gorst, women's football correspondent Beth Lindot, and chief Liverpool writer Ian Doyle. How are we? All good. All good. All good. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. You got through there. My <laughs> uh, first pad back after a week off, so looking forward to getting stuck into the women's derby, among other things. But I always find during the international break, Doyle, that this is the worst day to do a pod because the first week of the you've international really break is done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turn off now. No, yeah. First week of the international break is done. You've still got another week to come. So it's sort of like you're in no man's land. You think, well, what are we going to talk about? But Tom has presented an itinerary well, for us to get This is the best time to do it because we can talk about anything. We're not set by a schedule or anything. Well, we're going to start with the women's derby from last night. Beth, you were there covering the game. I think, Paul, you were also there as yeah. well. We'll start with you, Beth. What did you make of the game? Obviously, Everton... 1-0 winners in the end. Yeah, uh, disappointing performance from Liverpool, really. I mean, they've made such a strong start to the season. They'd won their opening two games against Arsenal away at the Emirates and then they dispatched a very good Aston Villa side at home last week. So I think the tails were up coming into this one, probably especially when you consider sort of Everton's start to the season. Everton had lost their opening two games as well. So it felt like the stars were very much aligned for, for Liverpool to, to go and have a, a strong performance at Anfield. But... The form at Anfield is absolutely horrendous, really. They've lost the four Merseyside derbies that they've played there, so they should probably just stick at, at Prenton Park next year. But um, and, and sort of, it was a, a little bit of a repeat of last season in a way. You know, going into that game at Anfield last season, Everton had lost, Liverpool had won their opening game, uh, and Everton ran out as, as three 0 winners last time. It wasn't quite as dominant a display from Everton yesterday, but um, they had sort of the biggest chance of the game, this a free header for, for Megan Finnegan, and. and Fair play to them, they, they took it. Um, I think Liverpool will be frustrated, and certainly manager Matt Beard was frustrated after the game um, with a couple of the, the officiating decisions. Um, Liverpool had what looks to be a, a perfectly legitimate goal uh, mm. chalked off for, for offside in the fourth minute. And you know, it's a shame as well because it was Missy, Missy Bokerns who scored it, who obviously is a is a local girl, it's her dream to play and, and score at Anfield. So, you know, she had that moment in front of the cop sort of taken away from her. Um, unfairly, it now seems, and obviously goals change games. You know, had that goal been given, the trajectory of the the game might have been a little bit different. And I think Liverpool might actually have gone on to win it by a couple because of the way that Everton had started the season. I think that might have rocked them a little bit, and they certainly did look Everton, didn't they, in the opening stages, quite, yeah. you know, quite shaky. But they rallied well, and and yeah, deservedly, I think, took the, took the three points. And what did you make of the the crowd as well? Obviously, it was a increase from the last year, I believe. So it was. Less than last year, right. actually. Um, it, so it was, they had 23,000 there yesterday, just over, and they had 20, about 27,000 there last year. So, you know, still a, still a decent number. I think the club, you know, as long as it sort of started with the two, they were, they were happy with it. Um, I think it's a shame because I think the, the derby had fallen in quite a, a, nice, a nice spot in terms of it being the men's international break and, you know, might, might have been a nice chance to, to really try and, and break that record that, that was set last year. Um, you know, there might be people say, oh, if it was on a Saturday, it might have attracted more fans or, or whatever. I think sort of the, the most curious thing I found about yesterday was the fact that rather than having the Everton fans in the away ends and, and on the on-field roads end, they had them sort of siphoned off in, in a corner of the cop, which was was very odd. I mean, and you, you see Everton celebrating in front of the cop a full yeah, time. Yeah. It's, a, it's a surreal one, isn't it? Yeah, and I think sort of 
last season that was one of the really good things about you know about that game was that the Everton fans had that designated away end and they got to go and celebrate there and and you know conversely the cop was fully Liverpool support so um, you know that was a slightly odd one um, and I think it is, was slightly disappointing you know numbers wise um, it would have been nice to sort of crack that 30,000 barrier and you know you look at the likes of Arsenal getting sort of 50,000 now quite quite regularly 40 50,000 into to the Emirates and you know we're such a big football city and everyone's so passionate about the, the club on Merseyside so it, you know I think in in future it would be nice to see you know more people turning out as well but um, but yeah, overall a disappointing afternoon for, for Liverpool, but not one I think that they should worry about too much. I think they've shown plenty of promise in the opening weeks of the season and it was maybe just a bad day at the office yesterday. Yeah, I, I took my six-year-old knee, so I wasn't really analysing it. Not in the same way Beth was, you know, a bit different to <coughs> the usual trip to Anfield. But um, I just felt Liverpool missed Katie Stengel. Probably the first time this season you've been able to say that about them and, you know, their ability to, to occupy the, the centre-backs and really get, allow Liverpool a chance to get, you know, women forward and um, that just didn't happen did it? No. Liverpool didn't really get anyone in, into the box as much as they probably should have maybe had a penalty shot second half I've only seen it from the cops so yeah. I couldn't really um, comment too much but certainly everyone was screaming for it when I was sitting <laughs> and yeah just just a disappointment really you know if that Missy Bocairn's goal is, is ruled to not be offside then you're talking about a totally different game because Liverpool you know they flew out of the traps for a few minutes and then they hit the underside of the bar um, and then after that, Evan kind of weathered the storm and, and grew into the game. And ultimately, they, you know, you could probably argue they were deserved winners. There weren't too many chances for either side. And um, like Beth says, just a, a shame for Liverpool that they can't seem to shake off this um, Anfield hoodoo. Um, maybe if you know they try again, they can finally get a um, bit of a statement winning Anfield. But it goes on. Um, just before we move on to the international break, which is still ongoing at the moment, Ian, just want a word on FSG, <coughs> recently marked their 13-year anniversary at the club. How would you sum which, up their... Which word would you like? <laughs> <laughs> How would you sum up their time at Liverpool? Oh, well, that's... Thanks for the easy question, Tom. <laughs> quick word. Yeah, quick word, yeah. Fine. Yeah. It's been fine. Uh, well, I wrote something, didn't I, on, on Sunday to market and basically said, look, they made these mistakes and... You know, we can go through them all. What was it? The furlough, they're trying to trade yeah. at Liverpool, the Super League, obviously. Uh, there's ticket prices when they, they tried to put them up in a new main stand and everybody walked out. Um, and there will always be some fans who just go, well, you keep apologising for stuff. And so we don't really believe that you've actually got the best interest of the club at heart. That, and they'll never convince them anything otherwise. I mean, we have them all, don't we? Paul on their social media. Every time we post something, it's like FSG out, no matter what. You know, Liverpool only beat somebody 6-0 FSG out, that kind of thing. <laughs> Um, so, you know, if you take the two extremes out of both sides of any argument, the same with this one, the, I think most fans think they've done a good job. I mean, you only have to look at the training ground. Uh, it's a new, well, obviously, they've got a new training ground at Kirby, which they moved into a couple of years ago. Uh, the Amphia Road End, which I know we're going to touch on in a minute when, that finished, when that's finished, that's another testament to the money that they've put into the club in terms of the infrastructure. They've got the main stand, which I've already mentioned. Uh, they got the uh, women's team going back to Melwood, although they shouldn't have really sold it in the first place. But again, that's another example of them going, oh, we shouldn't have done that, and then changing their minds again. So, they, you know, they're not too proud to actually not do that. Um, but ultimately, it's about what's happening on the pitch. And while there are people who will say, well, they're lucky that, you know, Jurgen Klopp's done this, that and the other. Well, why did Jurgen Klopp come to Liverpool and who brought them there? And it was them. And if it's one decision they've made, that's the best decision they've made in the entire time they've been, the, they've been in charge. It's getting Klopp in. Before that, 
we saw that they had, uh, you know, they, they had Damien Camoli, wasn't he? he? Was the first? I think he was pretty sure he was the first director of football Liverpool had ever had, hadn't they? Because they changed the model by that yeah, point. Yeah. yeah. So they won a League Cup, got to an FA Cup final, and, and then that was on Kenny Dalglish under Brendan Rodgers. They finished second, but there was always that sense that they weren't quite able to make that final step. And with Klopp and also Michael Edwards uh, being appointed as the sport director, they were able to do that. And of course, now you look at it and go, well. The way that they came in and thought, we're going to use FFP, that's the, ultimately that was the only reason they came and took over a football club, no matter who it was in the Premier League. They did it within those, you know, what they expected, those regulations and those rules, and it hasn't quite happened like that. And so they've recognised that last year, they put the, the call out for, not on, well, obviously at, the, at first we kind of thought they might put the club up for sale, but they were looking for outside investment. They got that last month through Dynasty Equity, is it? Yeah, from New York. Which we're not entirely sure of the number, but I think it's between 100 and 200 million dollars for a share of the club, and that'll be used to, you know, help bring down the debt that they've accrued for the infrastructure that we've mentioned. And while that's not directly going to go to any kind of transfer fund, obviously, if you get some money into a club, indirectly it's going to help with signing players. So FSG have recognised that that had to change. So you could argue they're at something of a crossroads because they're probably going to have to get another sporting director in. Because I don't think Jord Smatka is going to last beyond yeah. his year if he even gets that far. Uh, he was always regarded as a stopgap, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and in fact, Liverpool proved that by just giving him the 12-month contract. So, through the kind of a state of flux, but you can see it's not just on the pitch that Liverpool are building a new team. It's off it as well. So, I think I think um, I spoke to Billy Hogan in the in the summer, and it's. You know, put to him through uh, Dave Powell actually was the one who brought it up and he said I think it's FSG 3.0 is it that's what they're up to these it's hard Liverpool are on 2.0 and FSG are on 3.0 <laughs> yeah. I think that's it so the whole company's undergoing a bit of a change Liverpool's part of that so yeah they are a bit of a crossroads but there's no sign of them going anywhere anytime soon so whether they like it or not everybody that messages me on Twitter and says hashtag FSG out and this that and the other the good news for them is they're going to be able to keep on doing it for a while because I don't think they're going to be going anywhere. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think one thing they've, they've probably proven is they've, they've appointed the right people in the right positions. So like Michael Edwards is the sporting director, wasn't he, for was it six years or so. Jürgen Klopp, obviously, one of the best managers in world football. He's just passed his eight-year anniversary. On the pitch, they've got some of the Best players I've certainly ever seen, you know, watching Liverpool, Virgil van Dijk and, you know, Mo Salah and, you know, you can go right through that team that, that won the lot over the last few years. So that is something that they can certainly say that they're able to do on and off the pitch to get the right people in the right roles and then just essentially leave them to it. On the flip side, there's always this talk, isn't there, of did he, did he put enough into the, the transfer kitty essentially? And I think you've only got to look around the rest of the Premier League to think that if you made your main gripe about your owners is is that they're not just maybe not putting enough into the transfer kitty, you've probably got an ownership group who who are doing a decent job, because like Ian says, they're the main stand, the access training centre, the um, Anfield Road that will eventually be complete sooner rather than later. You hope they're all major kind of infrastructure plans that have been done on FSG's watch, um, and you look around the rest of the Premier League, you know. Look at what's happening across the other side of the park with Everton. You know, the Glazer family. Only this weekend we've seen the you know Sheikh Jassim, the mysterious <laughs> enigmatic Sheikh Jassim, has apparently pulled out. Um, 
Man City have got 115 charges hanging over them. Newcastle United's success comes with that massive caveat of being owned by the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Um, Chelsea have been, you know, in flux for for an incredible amount of time now. So I think you've only got to look across the rest of the Premier League. Think you know what? For all the kind of grumbles of of this lot not putting their hands in the pockets at certain times, they probably are. You know what you'd what you'd want your ownership to be at a, at a certain level and. Um, of course, there's always going to be critiques and complaints and issues, of course, but um, I think it's better to devil, you know, on, on the, mm. this point. People always want more, Thomas. Well, I was just going to say that, Beth, do you think it's be one of those cases of you don't know what you have till it's gone sort of thing, which we had with Michael Edwards a little bit, you know, when he left and people kind of realising the work he was doing behind the scenes. Do you think it will be the same with FSG when they go? I think perhaps, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot to be said, it's sort of, as Gorsty's alluded to there, for having stability at a football club, isn't there? I mean, you know, you look at the gripes that Manchester United fans have with the Glazers and, you know, the complaints about Old Trafford going to sort of rack and ruin and, you know, the, the debts that have been run up within the club and you think Liverpool, when FSG do eventually leave, you would like to think that, you know, they'll leave the club in a very healthy position and I think that's all you can really ask for it. That's the crux of what you can ask for from, from owners is that they leave the club in a better position than they found it. And I think certainly FSG will do that when they move on. Um, you know, they're obviously not immune to criticism, you know, as, as, as Doily said, you know, they've done, they've made some questionable decisions, but I suppose ultimately most of them they've, they've seen sense and they've backtracked, whether that's been through, you know, external pressure or not, they've, they've eventually come to, to the right decision. And, you know, I think, the, the, the easy targets, I think, sometimes when things aren't going well for the club, you know, I do agree that it would be nice at times to see them maybe sort of, in an ideal world, fork out a bit more money to, for, for transfers. And, you know, they came under the, the firing line, didn't they, a little bit earlier this year when the whole Jude Bellingham saga was mm. unfailing. But, you know, as we then saw in the summer, Liverpool's sort of reasoning for that was going to wanting to get a, a couple of really world-class midfielders. And, you know, they've brought in, you know, Dominic Sabozlai and, and Alexis McAllister, who you think, you know, and Ryan Gravenberch as well, you know, for, for the price of Jude Bellingham, and you think, well, actually, that's a pretty shrewd bit of business. And actually, you know, was it the money wasn't there, or was it Jurgen Klopp and and his team wanted to, to sort of spread that that money out between multiple players? So I think you know they are easy targets sometimes, and I do think, you know, when it comes to, to football club ownership, you're never going to have sort of that silver bullet, are you, of, a, of, a, of an ownership that mm. is completely perfect in all facets? So I think you know. On the on the whole, I think they deserve credit for what they've done. Um, of course, they can always improve, but I think yeah. you know, largely, I think they've they've done well during the time. I think the other thing you got to bear in mind is thirteen years is a very long time. Yeah, I mean, I was only eight thirteen years ago. <laughs> um, but I mean, again, in the piece here, I can't remember exactly, but there's, I think City United, Tottenham, Burnley, there might be another one, but there's like one or two others that have been had their owners there longer. Yeah, and you've seen with like United that. They just don't want to go away because they know they're making a load of money. Yeah. See, that the, the interesting thing is you look at United and you go, well, they're always going to be competing for stuff because what is it, they won the League Cup last year, didn't they? And they're in the Champions League. So on that basis, you think that's quite good. But obviously, look at the... They turn the managers around really quickly. The players, are they actually that good? You know, backroom staff, you've mentioned about Old Trafford falling apart. And if anybody's been, it is a bit of a... <laughs> I mean, if anybody's been there quite a lot, like I've been going for years, it is a bit of a shame what's yeah. happened to mm. it because it was a very good stadium, but now it's not. Um, that's an example of owners who are just doing it quite clearly for themselves, 
quite clearly. They will. Keep, they, they know quite well that they have to have the team and everything else to a certain standard. Otherwise, they will not be making money off it. But they don't seem to have a cohesive plan. Whereas, whatever you say about FSG, they do have one, even yeah. if it's not always the right plan, such as with the ticket situation and the and the Super League and all that kind of stuff. But that just said, they've had to learn as well on the job. You look at the stuff that happened very early on, and they've not kind of repeated those mistakes. But as I just mentioned before, they are in a process of change now. Mm. So we are going to, we're going to reach a stage where they will start making some more mistakes again. And that is 100% going to happen. And then it's what happens after that and how much that impacts. Because obviously, what's the next big decision they're going to have to make? Who's going to replace Klopp? Mm. And I know that's another three years down the line. And there's every chance that, I mean, we know what Jürgen's like. He's, he can be quite an emotional soul. So if Liverpool are doing quite well, he might go, yeah, give me another contract. You know? <laughs> so there's every chance that could happen. But you know, he can't go on forever. Yeah, but I, I think that goes back to them. You know, I think the, the biggest suit is, is getting the right people in, in the right yeah, position. Yeah. So that decision will be made by someone who will be wholly qualified to do it. It's like the, the difference with Liverpool and United has been they haven't had that kind of football infrastructure after for years. And you know, you've had Ed Woodward making decisions, and he's not necessarily a, a football person in inverted commas. And, and Liverpool certainly have. I've not been anywhere near that, that it, kind of chaos yeah. for years because of, of FSG's general blueprint. In any business, it's about knowing what people can do and what people mm. can't do. That's it in everywhere. And if you can yeah. harness that and knowing that there's some things that you, no matter what position of, you know, you know up, higher, mm. up the hierarchy you are, you can't do certain things. You have to, as Paul said, employ people who can actually do it. And that's what the, you know, delegation is yeah. what you need. Now you've raised the question, Ian, so I'm going to ask you it. Oh, Who should be Jurgen Klopp's replacement at Liverpool you see, when he goes? You see, what you've done there, Tom, is just to anybody who's <laughs> watching this or listening, as you will be, Tom has this kind of thing where he, where he asks the most open-ended questions in, in history and I'm afraid, Tom, that is one of them and I refuse to answer that question because who knows what will be happening in six months, let alone three years. It's also a little peppy of a man, the, 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 the desperation for this to be a topic. It's like Liverpool fans wishing, <laughs> wishing you a need career. To have, you need to have a plan. Well, to be fair, this is the international break, so yeah, no, this true. is a good time to talk about Charlie it. Alonso, anyone? Well, that, no, because, you know, in X, what is it, X number of years' time when Klopp is leaving, you know, managers are flavour, flavours of the month, aren't they? So mm. Xavi Alonso's doing well now. Mm. He, he might be on the scrap heap in three years. Roberto De Zerbi's the same, you know. A couple of years ago, people were talking about Steven Gerrard doing it, whereas, you know, he's... Managing and of course, now there's, no, now there's nothing to stop Steven Gerrard coming back to the Premier League and doing really well, mm. and then it goes full circle. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's just so how it's, for me, it's, are. it's just, yeah. But I think anyone connected with Liverpool just has to enjoy this manager while he's here. Well, what I would We've say just gone that. past the eight year anniversary, yeah. haven't we? What I would say on that is when was the last Liverpool manager that got appointed where you went, well, I could see that happening. I'm trying to think, like, when was the last one? Roy Hodgson, you would have said no. Yeah. Brendan Rodgers, maybe. Jurgen Klopp, I was always like, why would he come to Liverpool? Yeah, I didn't think they had the, the cachet Rafa, again. Rafael Benitez. Benitez, yeah. maybe. Really? Benitez and yeah, Mourinho. But don't were, forget were, that, that Chelsea, uh, well, was it Chelsea for him? Although they got Mourinho, didn't at the same time? There was that kind of debate over it, wasn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Moving on from the manager's then, <laughs> <laughs> back to FSG and uh, Anfield Road projects. Yes. So we had the news um, last week that that's not going to be open now till 2024. So that means Liverpool's well, big three home games against Everton, Man City and Man United will be played with no fans in the upper section. 
Ian, what was your reaction to that when you when you saw it? Well, my reaction was I could have done without that phone call. It was my day off, <laughs> um, and it was quite early as well, to be fair. Um, um, it's funny you said that till 2024, when you'll think it and go, well, actually, that's only 11 weeks off, so it's not that long. But it is in the sense of mm. this entire project. It sounds a bit more dramatic. Yeah, it, it does, yeah. yeah. We'd never do that as journalists, would we? Um, well, initially, this was supposed to be open when they announced it. I think it was February 2019 or 2020. I can't remember which year. I want to say February 2020, to be fair. It might not be. It could be 2019. But the point Correct. being, the, the, when they, announced, they initially announced that the uh, Amphi Road End was going to happen, I think it was 2020, wasn't it? I remember the, the groundbreaking ceremony yeah. with Clap. That was late September 2021. Yeah, so when they announced it, obviously not long after COVID happened, so it initially got put back a year. So it must have been, think about it, it must have been February 2020. Yeah, that's done, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it must have been February 2020. So they lost a year straight away. Then it was supposed to be open at the start of this season, and I remember being in, um, where have they played? Germany. Germany in the, in the summer, and there was some fans who were also kind of new people in the building trade and they were going I'm telling you now that's not going to be ready for the start <laughs> of the season and uh, sure enough it wasn't but what Liverpool couldn't control is the fact that the Buckingham group went into administration and in some ways given the fact what's happened with some other projects not necessarily to do with this mm. you have to look in the centre of Liverpool city centre you know things were you know constructors have gone bust and things are ground to a halt yeah. Liverpool have done quite well to get this back up and running as soon as they have. But that is absolutely no consolation to the people. Mm -hmm. The 4,000 fans, season ticket holders and members who bought tickets from the game on Saturday against Edmonton that's coming up onwards to you know, to go and sit in the upper tier because they were thinking they were going to do it as a like a phase, a staged yeah. opening. <clears throat> and of course, what's happened there is that Liverpool... I mean, I don't know enough about the, the ticket sales or the process of it because it's been a long time since I've had to, to buy one. Uh, but I know other people who do. And basically, they've sold all the tickets for all the games for the rest of the year without considering that this might not happen. Yeah. You know, the, the, yeah. the upper team. And so these poor fans, a lot of them have just arrived <coughs> to travel and this, that and the other. Now they've got no, they can't sit there and they've got nowhere else to sit because all the other mm -hmm. tickets have been sold already. And you can understand that for the Everton games and stuff like that, but we're talking like the Newcastle game over Christmas, that's gone as well. So. Arsenal, just for yeah, Christmas. Arsenal, there's some yeah. massive games, Everton, Arsenal, United, Newcastle, uh, not, not Man City, no. City's away. City's away, away, away sorry. City's away. Also, what's the other ones? Brentford, Forest, Fulham, Forest, that's yeah. it, isn't it? So there's actually quite, yeah. <laughs> quite a lot of home games because... You know, Liverpool started the season by not playing that many at home. Uh, that's just the way the fixture list went. So, for those fans, it's, I mean, there's no getting around the fact that it's a, for, for FSG, it's a PR disaster, yeah. isn't it? Let's be honest. Right. But part of it isn't their fault. But then, did they overcommit by thinking that they could open the upper tier in time for the Everton game and sell mm -hmm. the tickets? That's probably, I think, in retrospect, they'd probably not mm -hmm. have done that because they've upset. 4,000 fans who probably going to be out of pocket in terms, certainly, in they'll get the refunds on the tickets, but a lot of them will be travelling from long distances, some could be travelling from abroad and they'll have already sorted flights and hotels. So for that, it's not great. Looking at the long term picture, don't think it's really going to impact on the actual building of the yeah. stand itself that will be open at some point. And Ultimately, there'll be an extra seven thousand pounds will be will be going in, so you're getting up to sixty-one thousand. So, not great, but unfortunately, it is genuinely one of those things. Yeah, and Paul, I know on the release they've done it says twenty twenty-four, but they've not 
you know, put a date on it this time, which is probably understandable yeah. given what's happened up till now. Although it says 2024, we obviously that might not be until the middle of 2024, so well, we don't it, actually yeah. know when yeah. it's going to be. As so well. it, basically, it just sounds like the, the new contractors are in their own have, have wanted a little bit of a time to assess the lay of the land and see what work needs to be done and, and without putting any kind of pressure on it in terms of a, of a deadline. Um, we know that the, the original plan was for the Bournemouth game, wasn't it, which was August. And then, did they say October, was it? Did think, they push it back I think to October? I think Everton was going to be a yeah. game, yeah. And I think that maybe just puts unnecessary strain on on the, the building plans, I'm not too sure. Um, but you're right, you know, they have said next year, is that going to be January, is it February, are we going to be creeping in towards March time? And then you're looking at it thinking, well, will this even be open for the season? You know, might it be next season? And, and then you sort of like the back end of next year, aren't you? So... Um, yeah, it's, a, it's been a frustrating one for Liverpool, I'm sure. Um, not as frustrating as the fans who've been waiting to come in and add a bit more noise to the place. Um, and also from a football perspective as well, Liverpool are missing out on having that you know, ground swell of support for some big games. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's an unwanted situation for, um, for loads of different reasons. Um, but it will get done eventually. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to seeing it when it is done. But... At the moment, that's the big question mark, isn't it? And um, we're still on the wise as to when that might be. I think, like yesterday as well, I was having a look up there, and it's it's frustrating. Obviously, you don't know what the state of it is like inside, and but you look at it and you think, it's only a couple of extra chairs they need to <laughs> yeah. whack on there. Like, how's it going to take till? Obviously, I'm just looking at it with complete, you know, no no experience of how these projects actually work. <laughs> but, um, but from but a you've fan... never built a massive stand <laughs> yourself, no. Not yet. That's that's for next year, but. Um, <laughs> But you, you do look at it and you think it does look, you know, they look like they have made progress on it in, you know, since the start of the season. Obviously, as Dougie said, they couldn't have foreseen what would happen with the, with the contractors. But um, you do look at it and you think, like, it looks like it could be done if, yeah. if they really put their head down and mm-hmm. did it in a couple, you know, a couple of weeks. But obviously, that's not the case. But yeah, frustrating. But it will be hopefully worth the wait when it eventually opens up. Well, I had a chance to have a look at it in May, was it? I think it was the Villa game, um, the last game, last home game of the season, and. It looked like everything was on course. It was full steam ahead, and they just needed to. Um, everything was looked like it was in place. It just needed to be, you know, basically all, all the building work was there essentially. Um, but I think the contractors gone bust is, is what's caught them out really, because mm. that's what is it now? That's over five months, or five months tomorrow, I think, and um, you know, still none the wise as to when that might be. So, I think that is what has caught Liverpool out over the summer, the fact that um, Buckingham Group has gone into administration and then from there it's just gone into a little bit of a tailspin. Was that little tour the one that Theo turned up for the previous week when we had none of us had read the email properly? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just wanted to get that right. <laughs> just sticking with you, Paul, um, we're almost at the end of the international break, another international break. The, the big talking point has obviously been Andy Robertson's injury. Yeah. We've still not had any kind of update on how long he might be out for, but we're likely to hear later this week, aren't we? Yeah, I'd hope so. It's a, obviously a shoulder injury, isn't it? And then I think Steve Clark said that neither he's coming back to his club. So no doubt that he'll have been in, in KV over the last few days, getting it looked at and assessed. And hopefully there will be some more information on that this week. Hopefully it's not a, a bad one. And you know, it looks like he definitely is going to miss the Everton game, doesn't it? But um, hopefully there's not too many more. After that, but shoulders are always strange ones, aren't they? You know, mm-hmm. we're none the wiser at the moment as to how long it'll be. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's a massive blow for Liverpool not having him for, yeah. for the derby. Um, big shoes for 
Costa Simacasta film <clears throat> and a main side derby, but um, oh, that's just one of the things about the international break, isn't it? Liverpool have generally been all right for injuries this season. Yeah. Suspensions that have mainly caught them out, but um, I'm not that Klopp won't be happy about it. Like. And Ian, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold mm. played for England against Australia in their friendly mm. win. Um, I don't know if you saw any I of his performance. This is going to be good, go on. Gareth Southgate <laughs> was saying after the game he was trying to use Trent in the position he's been playing for Liverpool. Obviously he was the one who originally trialled him in kind of that midfield area, which Klopp, you know, at first wasn't very happy about when he was asked about it, you know, saying why would you play the best right back in midfield. Just wondering what you make of the fact that Liverpool eventually did make that change of trying to utilise him in that kind of position and, you know, whether you see him longer term being an out-and-out midfielder or not. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, did he play right back? He played right, right back, but he's but going, into the, going into the yeah. field. But, ah, right. but, but well, that's, that's, that's a change, that's kind of because Southgate was playing in yeah, mid-field. Mid yeah. It's kind of, the system is built for Trent, essentially, at Liverpool. This was very much just, I'll do what you do at Liverpool, yeah. but by the way, you've got another form of got, I mean, in there. The and thing about international football is that you have to be literally Messi, Maradona, <laughs> Pele, um, I was trying to think of a rubbish player to put in there. I just couldn't think of one. I haven't thought that one through. You have to be someone like that to build a team round. And they're never, ever, ever going to build a team round Trent because there's loads of other good players that play for England at other clubs. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you're going to build the England team round anyone, it's going to be that player that Liverpool tried to sign in the, well, earlier this year, Jude Bellingham. So I think that's just, I think Trent knows that. I think he probably will end up playing in midfield for England, to be fair. And he, he did an interview with Channel 4 before the game on... Uh, on Friday, and he basically said, he got asked the question, so do you see a midfield with you, uh, Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham? And he's like, well, on paper, that sounds quite good. He says, and you know, I wouldn't mind having a go at that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So he also said, it's funny because he went, yeah, he got asked the question, do you see yourself as a midfield? And he went, well, actually, yeah, I do. And then he kind of just like paused, but I don't know, who knows? It's not up to me, <laughs> you know? So it's like, he didn't want to upset Klopp. And it's like any footballer, Whenever we ask them what position you like to play, they always say, as long as I'm on the pitch, yeah. it's all right. Yeah. But they do all have favourites. And I think long term, he'll think he can play in midfield. And I think, it, again, it entirely depends on the other players around him. It's like we've seen with, just going to bring up Harvey Elliott, who, who I did see had a very good game for England, which Serbia 9 1, wasn't it? Scored twice and um, assisted. And he played technically in the same position that he plays for Liverpool. But because of the other players around him, he was far more attacking, didn't have to do, you know, cover for the right back, this, that and the other, he was able to get forward. And that's an example of somebody who, we saw him against Brighton, where he played in exactly the same position, but had Alexis McAllister behind him, and I think he was covering for Trent. It's a completely different role, he wasn't able to do what he would normally do, and he got subbed at half-time. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, and you're not expecting him to, to, to get subbed at half-time every single game he plays. But for England, he's playing a different position, does a bit better. I know there's times our position's a bit different, but he's still getting his positions, he's still scoring the goals, he's still the goals are still the same size, you know, we've still got to shoot at them, that kind of thing. For Trent, it's exactly the same thing. So can he play midfield? Yes. Will he play midfield eventually? Probably. Will he be doing it anytime soon for Liverpool? No, mm. I don't think. But then he did start the summer in defensive midfield and with all the players that are missing um, I know, of course, you mentioned about injuries not being that but many, but if you actually add them up from the suspensions for the game against Everton, there's quite a lot. Yeah. And they're all in a specific position. And the fact that Klopp isn't 
you have to say not entirely convinced by Endo at the moment anyway, is that does Trent play in defensive midfield? It would be a massive shout to play him there against Everton. But it's something else he could do. But then, then you go back to the question of, well, if he plays there, we've got to play Joe Gomez at right back. And then, you know, it's suddenly you're moving too many other things around yeah. in the team. I think which, is why, which is why Trent is going to be playing right back for Liverpool for the foreseeable future. Yeah, but I just think Liverpool have, have played this system now for six months that it's not going to be something they're going to drop. So yeah. Trent is the best player for that role. You know, look who's, who's played there this season. Curtis Jones played there, didn't he, against... Leicester. Joe Gomez played there against Joe Wolves. Joe Gomez, yeah. The Shetters just played there against um, Lask, was it? Yeah. So it's um, it's not something that they're just going to abandon when Trent isn't, isn't fit. So he is still the best fit for that kind of right-back slash centre-mid role. So um, it's just going to be one he's going to have to learn. Mm. But, but go back to what I said about playing Trent in defensive midfield. Then you might say, well, we've lost the inverted fullback. But when he went... when. I think Gomez played right back and in the summer, and I think it was James McConnell actually was in defensive midfield. Simicast played left back and he played inverted mm. from, from left back. Now we know Simicast is going to be playing um, left back now with Andy Robinson being out for a while. It's like, is that something that's you know open to Klopp? But then again, it goes back to why would you change so many things just for the sake of one yeah. player being out? Another friendly Beth was um, Netherlands against France, which saw Virgil van Dijk go up against Canate. Um, France won on this occasion, so you know it's a tough one for Virgil van Dijk. They now need to win the last two games, I believe, to get out of their group. Mm. Just wondering what you've made of van Dijk, and I know when he plays for his country, he seems to get a lot of criticism from the media there. And you know, going into the game against Everton this weekend, a lot of people have kind of said that game against them three years ago, where he had that tackle from Jordan Pickford. He's not, he's not been the same player ever since that. Do you buy into that, or do you think that's a bit of nonsense? Or you know, what, what do you think about Van Dijk and where he is? I think Van Dijk is sort of the victim of, of his own success, isn't he? I mean, he reached such lofty standards, and I genuinely don't think it's bias. I don't think we will see such a dominant, you know, consistent level of brilliance from a centre back as we did from from Virgil from sort of eighteen, nineteen, nineteen, twenty. He was you know the, the best centre back in the world without question. Um, I do think that that injury, you sort of, I think you sensed a little bit sort of after that, there was almost a little bit of of reticence to sort of engage in, in sort of a, too many sort of major clashes in case anything was aggravated, especially sort of in the build up to, to the World Cup last, last season. Obviously, he missed the Euros, didn't he? And I, th- I always sort of felt sort of last season he was maybe sort of holding back a little bit ahead of the World Cup. And, you know, I think he's maybe lost. No, don't say that to him, but- <laughs> oh, he doesn't like that one. No. no, no. Even though he um, then did say something along the lines of more or less admitting it. A bit later yeah, on. well, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, players are human beings, aren't they? And he, you know, he'd missed out on it. On a, he obviously sort of came to to his peak quite late, didn't he? Really, I mean, yeah. I know centre backs traditionally do, but he's not the sort of player who was sort of starring for his country at eighteen, nineteen. So he missed a, a, a real big chance to go and, and represent the Netherlands at the Euros and. And so I think it's understandable, you know, he would, it would have been a nightmare for him to, to miss out on, on the World Cup. But I definitely do think, you know, whether he likes it or not, I think he was holding back a little bit at the start of last season. I think <laughs> you tell him. I'm sure we've been watching, so Virgil, yeah. Um, no, but toward the end of last season, actually, I thought he sort of quietly looked like he was getting, if not back to his best, then certainly improving. And I think he's been brilliant this season, largely. Mm. I think he's 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 been very good. I think, um, you know... Liverpool have, have looked open defensively, but I think that's been more down to the fact that they've not had to hold a midfielder. I think 
sort of when when Virgil and, and Canate or Matip or, or Gomez have, have been called upon um, in that sort of centre back role and I, I think they've they've done done well. I think he's you know, is he as good as he was three years ago? Probably not. But equally, you know, I think he's he's still one of the best defenders in the Premier League and I think his form this season has, has maybe because he's reached such heights in the past few years, I think you know, he doesn't get the credit he deserves, whereas if, if Liverpool had, had signed him in the summer and he'd come in and put some of the performances mm. that he has, he'd probably be getting more credit than, than he has done. So I think he's had a, had a decent season. And, you know, I think the, the difficulty is just sort of establishing, you know, who is that first choice centre-back pairing, isn't it? I think, you know, it's Canate is the, is the obvious one, but his injury record lets him down a little bit. And we've seen sort of in recent weeks, Klopp go for, for Matip or Gomez in, in the Premier League and they've, they've played Canati in midweek, obviously coming back from injury. So, um, yeah, I think I think it, it, now it will be, be interesting to see who Klopp goes for in the derby. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When, when you get older, Tom, your reactions, <laughs> although I'm only 21, as I said before, your reactions are kind of the first thing that slow down a little bit. And I think with Van Dijk, he's always, his game's always been that last minute kind of just nipping in and taking the ball or doing a challenge or getting the head in at the last minute. And I thought through spells of last season, you could tell that he was a little bit off, his timing was off, and he, he's kind of had to readjust that. You could argue that, look at the, uh, the Newcastle sending off. Van Dijk mm. from like four or five years ago doesn't make that foul because he would just get the ball. Mm. Right, but... Unfortunately, like anyone who gets older, slowed down a bit, little bit. If you can just readjust to that, it's fine. Because it was a game against Bournemouth, where Bournemouth, when Liverpool went down to ten, they started pumping it up to to. Did it keep them? They both played yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. And he was tall bloke. Yeah. Um, he was just heading everything away. And if you're going to try and do that with with Van Dijk, he's just going to absolutely dominate you. So that's not going to change for him. So he's going to be able to like produce that for Liverpool. But if you can just do those little tweaks and. Yeah, if he gets a, a younger player alongside him, someone like Canati, that's why it works so well. Well, having said that, Matip's been playing really well. And with Matip, I think, because uh, he's out of contract at the end of the season, yeah. and there's not really been any suggestion he's going to get a new one, I think he would rather like to stay. He did an interview, didn't he? he last month where he yeah, said yeah. that. So, you know, if you've got a player who's in form, it doesn't matter how old he are, just play him. And I think that's what he's doing. It's interesting that, don't think, I'm pretty sure Matip started, like, I think, the last five or six league games and hasn't started any of the cup games mm. because we know with Matip you know mentioned Canati's injury record well Matip's is even worse yeah. but you know he if you can keep him fit he's a good defender just as long as he doesn't have his Toba on boot or 50p <laughs> yeah. which, he has, which he has occasionally but that's just Matip isn't it that's why let's face it everybody loves him don't they Cold yeah. Yeah. yeah I also yeah. think on Van Dijk as well not to sound sort of like a, a football Twitter fan account but I think like the phrase that the word aura gets thrown around a lot when you talk about centre backs, and I think, but I do genuinely think that, that at his peak a couple of years ago, Van Dijk had had this aura that meant that, you know, I think that the best one was that sort of the Sissoko um, and Song counter attack, yeah. the one, and, and he just sort of, you know, makes him forces on, forces Sissoko onto his weaker foot, and I think that there were so many occasions in that season where players you, they just didn't fancy it against him at all. Yeah. They just. <laughs> They just saw him and they just like, I'll just stop running. Like, I'm a trailer, a trailer yeah. of wolves, yeah. 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 Shot and 45 yeah, that, that's, the, that, that's the one that sticks out to me, that Martinez one. Like, they just saw him and it was almost like, oh, he's, he's going to get there. And I think that sort of air of, of infallibility has been dented a lot by, certainly last season, Liverpool's defensive record. And I think now players do feel like they can have a crack at, at Liverpool and by extension him. So, mm. um, you know, I think 
that's you know that's something that's changed a little bit in the past couple of years. But as I said, overall, I think he's had a, had a pretty decent start to the season. It's, it's, it's too easy a narrative, isn't it? That we always hear that word narrative to say that he's he's never been the same since his injury because. You know, he was two games away from winning a quadruple, and you thought about the greatest season ever, and he was he was Liverpool's best defender. So, um, I think at times his, his poor form has been exaggerated a little bit because of how great he has been. Um, but I don't think there's a there's a debate to be had that you know he's fallen off or anything like that. I still think he's like Beth says, he's one of the best centre backs around, and so I think he's Liverpool's best centre back. You see him on the team team sheet, and you've. You, with a little bit of confidence, aren't you? If you're going in, going into the game as a Liverpool supporter, and um, he's the captain for a reason. I'll tell you, if he has lost a bit of his aura, it's good. It's good news for it's good news for the other centre back because the amount of times we've mm. watched games mm. and the and the team just gone. What's the point about aiming for Van Dijk and just gone, that with, gone away, yeah. gone away okay, from him? Yeah. The other week, he, he was he was against Massa all, all afternoon because he thought I'm not getting anything out of Van Dijk and yeah. didn't get anything out of Massa either. Yeah. Well, Van Dijk's probably going to be playing this weekend. Paul, you're going to be at the game against Everton. What do you? How are you feeling going into it? Yeah, it's. I mean, Everton at Anfield. <laughs> every year you're thinking it's this the one that you know Everton finally win. You know they obviously won one 2021 was it, with no supporters. Yeah. But it's been 1999 now since the last one in front of fans and Liverpool have have won a derby every which way in that time. You know last minute winners. You know hammerings. And everything else in between, so I'm, I'm not too sure really. I, you know, I'd fancy Liverpool against anyone at Anfield, um, but then there's always just that little nagging doubt at the back mm. of your mind. Is it normally it's Doyle shouting, shouting? Well, maybe, maybe this is the one with Everton <laughs> finally win. It's um, not outrageous at all. That's exactly what I do think. But I, th- I think if Liverpool turn up, they, sh- they shouldn't shouldn't have too too many problems against. You know, it wasn't the Everton badge on the shirts, and it was the team who were kind of struggling. Around about 16th, 17th on the table, Liverpool should win pretty comfortably. Um, mm. But it being a half 12 kickoff, I'm sure that'll be something we'll come on to that could also play its part. You know, particularly with Liverpool's South American contingent. But you know, it, it's still fancy Liverpool going into a Merseyside derby at Anfield. They haven't had too many instances to cause you concern over the years, have they? What I would say is that if I turn it round, I'd say this is a very good chance for Everton. So the pressure should be slightly on them. Um, because they don't have as, <laughs> because they don't they've got a very good away record this season. They've just yeah. come in off the back of some good results for them. They don't have that many injuries. They don't have that many players who've been playing international football. Certainly not to the extent that Liverpool have. They don't have the disruption of loads of South American players coming back at the last minute. So really, if Everton don't win, probably Sean Dyche should be sacked. Here's a question, Here's a <laughs> question a for you though. What's more embarrassing, right? If Everton don't win on Saturday, or if Tottenham don't win the league? Oh, well, I mean, it's Tottenham, <laughs> Tottenham I don't, they've, hopefully they've got the names already getting engraved on it, because it's basically theirs. They've got the T on there. Right? Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, seriously, on Everton, I do genuinely mm. think that, because obviously I've reported on Everton for about 18 years, so I kind of like have a bit of a, 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 a the, one thing that, oh, right, the one thing that I always say about Everton is that the derby's in their heads, it is in their heads, and you can understand it for having not won as, as Gorsi said at Anfield for so long, but... I think they've only lost one derby since Klopp's taken over, haven't they? Liverpool, which was that the t- the two nil game. That's oh yeah, the only yeah, one, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. the only one. So whether it's home or away, they tend to be draws at Goodison. Liverpool yeah. tend to win at Anfield when Klopp's in charge. But when the Origi thing happened, uh, Jordan Pickford was interviewed after the game, and he said something along the lines of, 
yeah, this is the kind of thing that always happens in derbies to Everton. It's like, hang on, he's only just signed for them. He's not long been there. So mm. Who's been telling him that? Who's been telling him that? And I think that's something that is going to play into Liverpool's advantage because if they get a foothold in the game or some kind of, not fortunate, but kind of break goes in their way, then, you know, Everton's like, oh, no, it's happening complex, again. It's happening it? again. Mm. It's happening again is yeah. what they'll think. So I think they have got in their heads a little bit. So if Everton do want to win a game, they're going to have to, you know, cut their minds out. Not literally, of course. <laughs> and Beth, um, Sean Dyche, obviously Everton manager, he was in charge of Burnley when they ended Liverpool's long and beaten <laughs> Premier League run. You just get the feeling that he's the sort of manager that would, you know, love to, you know, cause a massive upset at Anfield. Yeah, you do. Um, but as Gorsi said, sort of, I, I always feel like that before before an Anfield derby, which is ludicrous considering that they haven't won there in front of fans since since 1999. But you know, you always have that extra bit of anxiety, don't you, going into it to a home derby? Um, and I did think last year, because obviously I think it was last year they came to Anfield off the back of that win over Arsenal, didn't they? Which was Dyche's first game in yeah, charge. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, you know, the, the stage is set for them to have this sort of new manager bounce at. Anfield and then and they were quite underwhelming really weren't they and Liverpool won 2-0 so um, yeah there's always a chance I think you know as Doyley said the, the form on the road this season has been been pretty good and I think Dyche has turned them into a, a certainly away from home a more difficult team to beat on the road um, I think they'll have chances because I think the way that Liverpool play you know every side who plays against them has chances really so it's whether they can take them I think we saw sort of last year Tarkovsky's header came off the bar mm-hmm. didn't it sort of mm-hmm. Less than a minute before Gakpo goes and scores, Salah, who, I can't remember who scored. Salah, 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 Salah got a pitch on, yeah. At the other end, so, um, you know, it's whether they can take the chances, but as well, there is that added thing of the 12.30 kick-off, isn't there, yeah. which is, is, a, is a joke, and obviously as we as we found out sort of earlier earlier this week, or the end of last week, that uh, Liverpool were once again going to be in that post-international break 12.30 slot for the, the away trips to Manchester City, which is... Yeah, a joke, isn't it, really? But, um, what is it, 14, 14 12 days of kick-offs? Yeah. You have to clap here and the next one is, is it Tottenham, is it, with six, six. or something Tottenham like that? Tottenham with six. Yeah. But, I mean, things like that, you know, people talk about conspiracies and people being against the club and it's total nonsense most of the time. It's just, you know... Most of the time? Most, most so, of the so time. So, come on, so tell me some more but, about you know, what the conspiracies in instances, that you think that, that In instances happening. like this, I don't think it's a conspiracy, but it, it's something that should absolutely be looked at. You know, I don't think there's there's... So that will mean that Liverpool have been in, you know, three consecutive 12:30 slots after an international break. That's absurd, isn't it? Mm. And I think the club should be in a position to to be able to challenge that. I think, and mm. um, you know, I don't, whether they have behind the scenes, I don't know. But you know, it, it is ridiculous. I think I hate 12:30 kickoffs anyway. But yeah, especially after an international break, it, it always adds that that extra bit of difficulty. The City one, you can understand because City can't play on s- Sunday. Um, the, the police don't want to play it on yeah. the evening. Didn't so really need fine. to play Wolves or Arsenal. Well, don't thing. need no. don't need to play Everton either. Mm. They don't need to play Everton either. So it's what I mean. It's not a conspiracy. However, the argument would obviously be: well, Liverpool are a massive draw, and the half twelve kickoff was brought in to to kind of sate the Asian market. But um, well, pretty sure Man United are pretty massive in Asia, and <laughs> why don't they play any games at yeah. half twelve after an international break? It does seem extremely odd, and I'm sure somebody will have a reason for it or explain it. It'll just say, oh, it's just one of those things. Well, it's not one of those things. It's 14 of those things. Mm. And I do think that, I, I don't mind conspiracy theories or anything like that. Um, 
but there's something a bit odd yeah. about there's something odd and you can just look at the figures of, of it it's just like why aren't United on more you could I mean they might argue well City aren't a massive club for television audiences fine what about Arsenal I know Arsenal are what about Chelsea mm. we know they are Chelsea got six for example which seems a lot but then it is compared to everybody apart from Liverpool yeah. so yeah great Liverpool are popular but they're not three times as popular as Man United in Asia are they well, you'll have to bring that up with the uh, television companies, in. I'm going to get on the phone <laughs> to them now. I'm going to send them... I'll also send them a strongly worded email. I'll probably send them a tweet as well because, you know, no one reads them anymore. <laughs> OK, well, I think that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thanks for listening and we'll be back later this week for another Blood Red podcast. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 